Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It is Locked on NBA. I'm David Locke, radio voice of Utah Jazz, host of Locked on NBA and founder of the Locked on Podcast Network. George Carl is the author of the book Furious George. George, I'm going to spend about 15 minutes talking about his 40 years in the NBA. It is not a hard hitter. It is not. We don't get into anything deep, and there's some reasons why I explain at the end. It's really just kind of a fun, frolicking run through his years, certain matchups, players, a lot on the Jazz Sonics matchups of the past and, and some coaching aspects uh, to what George does as a head coach. That's kind of uh, much looser and lighter than maybe uh, some others and also how the news covered uh, George in so many ways. So I uh, hope you enjoy this quick little run with George Carl. Reminder that if you are a Locked on NBA listener, you get access to some fun things. SeatGeek, promo code LOCKED, gives you $20 back on your first uh, purchase. Indochino, the made-to-measure suit company, promo code LOCKED as well, gets you the customized suit at 389 blue apron promo code l-o-c-k nba gets you your first three meals for free and warbyparker.com slash locked gets you the free home delivery of five try-ons and the free home trial so support our sponsors we appreciate them immensely uh in supporting this podcast and do remember that locked on nba is part of the locked on podcast network there is a daily podcast on your favorite NBA team each and every day produced out there for you. Subscribe to your favorite Locked On as well. This is Locked On NBA with George Carl. Well, George, if we're going to start, I think I probably want to start with what I think you may say was the greatest moment of your career, uh, which would be Game 7, Jazz Sonics, Key Arena for the right to go to the NBA Finals. What, what like... If we st- we're going to start somewhere in your career, aren't we starting there? I think so. I still kind of remember that Sunday afternoon. Uh, Malone and Stockton, Peyton and, Peyton and Kemp, two really good teams, two really well-coached teams. And uh, I don't think the game ever got more than five or six points one way or the other. Well, you talk so much in this book about what it's like to coach, and you want to tell the story. What's, what's that like? What's what's a game seven of a conference final like? Well, it's I think it's an amazing feat when two teams play seven games and they basically no one knows who the better team is until the last thirty seconds of the seventh game. Because that series we go up three one and they come in and kick our butts and kill us in game five they beat us at our home court and then they go back and they win by sixty, I think, in Utah. And so we were shaken, you know, so we shook them, had the advantage, had the lead, had the home court, gave it back, we got shaken, and then we play a seventh game that, as I said, was as even as you want it to be, and it comes down to basically, Sean made two free throws, uh, 
Balmain missed the free throw. You uh, you tell the story about your pregame ritual with the coaches where you like to get into a little bit of a mosh pit. What was your game seven mosh pit like? Uh, that was when I was still pretty healthy and pretty big, so I could push guys around pretty good. <laughs> when I had the cancer and lost all my weight, that I started getting my butt beat up a little bit. No, I would say, you know, coaches have, have – you know, they get some juice too now. There's a – I know we coach a lot of games, and I almost coached 2,000 games in the league, but, you know, you still have certain games that you feel like a young, you know, young high school kid ready to go out and have some fun and kick some butt. How different is coaching a game in the regular season compared to a playoff game? Like, how differently do you coach those games? Oh, I think in the regular season, you may be scripting the beginning of the game, at the end of the game, and maybe at halftime you're doing another, you know, you can script another five to ten plays. But in general, you're letting the flow of the game kind of dictate how you push buttons and what where you go, and you, you let the game have a little bit of a pulse. In a playoff game, you know so much about your opponent that you're probably scripting 60 to 70% of the game. And then the other 20 or 30% is those situations on the game of basketball that you can't script. You know, the loose balls, the scrambles, the deflections, the turnovers, all that stuff is kind of like play basketball and, and who's the best team at doing it. So I, I would say the scripting and the feel and the knowledge of what is going to happen against your opponent, opponent it's pretty dynamic in a playoff series. In each series, you get, you know your opponent a little bit more, a little bit even better. The book is Furious, George. It might have been, I thought it could have been titled, I Love Chaos. Is that a fair? Well, you know, I, I've not had the most stable situations in the world, but in the same sense, I enjoy challenges. And, and coaching, that's what, what I love about coaching. It's a challenge every day. And you, you probably have a, a little bit of a headache or a little bit of an attitude or a little bit of ego going on in your locker room. And depending on sometimes it's your starters, or sometimes it's your star, sometimes it's between player and player, and sometimes it's between coach and management. I mean, there's always energy going on on your team, and, and it's, a lot of it's dictated by winning and losing. But there are also other things that dictate what come, what creates a circumstance that a coach has to make a, a pretty serious, you know, determination on how and where he wants to go with it. Because you, you, one of the lines that I thought was maybe the most representative of the book, I don't mind tension. Tension can be good. Well, I think every game has tension. It has momentum swings. It has energy swings. It has good and bad. It has positive and negative it has it has momentum because you're playing defense sometimes it has momentum because you're playing offense and all those things are a little bit of you got to be you know i think the best coaches in the world have a feel for their team so much that they kind of know where the game is going more so than maybe the normal person and they know if they push this button the odds of it going this way or this way and so forth i i just think it's I mean, I love basketball fans because I think they're more educated and more knowledgeable of the game than people think they are. But in the same sense, the edge that comes from being with a team and practice at training camp and, and, and hanging out and traveling with them, 
there's a, you you have an instinctive ability to know your team sometimes better than anybody else. That tension you talk about in the game. What about coach to player tension? Is that all right? We talk so much now. You you hear like, well, you got to make sure the superstar's happy. I'm not sure your superstars were ever truly happy. I thought sometimes maybe you were the common foe that they all that they all got around to to work hard to be against a little bit sometimes. Well, you know, in a lot of ways, I'm the director of basketball, and you know, I. For many years, I don't know when I stopped trying. I, you know, I don't want my players to necessarily like me. It's okay if they do. I want them to be inspired and motivated and want to go into the gym and get better. And, and challenge we challenge each other to win games. And, you know, sometimes that challenging each other is has a little angst to it. It has a little angle, a little anger, maybe a little frustration. But in the same sense, you know, Gary Payton and I grew into being best friends with that anger and frustration being there almost every day. Jeep, there's nothing like GP. I'm sorry? There's nothing like GP. Well, you know, it's a blessing to have one of those great players that can de- determine an outcome of a game by just him being the, just being him. Gary was, a, you know, I think we all know his defense, but he was a winner. And his toughness was great. It's great. It was good. It was good to have him on your side. And I'll always remember Stockton and him going against each other. How much they respected one another, and how much they fought each other, and battled. And that series of where it was up and down all the time. You know, we 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 were on top for a while. They were on top for a while. Then they got back. And then we got back on the top. And then they got back on the top. You know, and I think in the end, you know, them going to the NBA Finals those last two years. You know, might have been the final advantage of of, the, of of their success, even though neither one of us ever won a championship. What did you just for interest when you regard? Do you go back to that? Like, what do you try to do when you're facing a Stockton and Malone? Uh, you know, we had early in the series, we we tried to take the ball away from them by double teaming a lot, and then later in the series, we 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 stopped double teaming because it was killing us. And I I think the osmosis of that series is one of the great. I think coaching situations, I mean, I think they adapted to our defense and then we had to adapt to their offensive efficiency. And I think we, we all know that both teams were pretty physical and pretty mentally tough and physically tough. It's interesting. In your book, I have it down, page 86, you have written down uh, kind of your all-time teams, right? So the five best players you ever coached against, Jordan, Bird, Magic, LeBron, like no one's arguing any of those. And then you drop in John Stockton as the fifth best player you ever coached against. Why? Uh, I think that's because I love him that much, you know. I, I, I mean, my whole thing is Stockton was the first player I ever watched on video that almost every game that I'm watched, I would run back a piece of the, of the tape or the video or the, now the CD or the computer. And I go, wow, did you, did, did he actually see this? How could he have seen what I just saw? And, you know, he was an amazing, you know, he had amazing instincts and his defensive instincts were, you know, they weren't even charted. I mean, because he was a, a very good defensive player would win games as much with his defense and offense. And it was just a joy. So, you know, I'm not sure he was the most five most talented players, but if you're talking about a guy that I respected and enjoyed going against and I, and I thought was special, John Stockton's on that list. 
So the other one on that list that surprised me, George, was Ray Allen because I was in Seattle when Ray Allen left you in Milwaukee, and I think I did the interview with Ray Allen where I don't think he was very nice to you in that exit interview of leaving Milwaukee. So I was surprised that I saw Ray Allen on the list of five best players. Maybe, maybe you're defining best differently than most enjoyable. I don't know. What, what, well, how did Ray Allen make that list? Well, you know, Ray and I had a very good two, three, I don't know, maybe three or four years. And it's, it's the last two years after, you know, we went to the conference finals that we started having our whatever you want to call them, tug of wars and situations like that. Ray's very outspoken. He's very smart, very bright. And he had a hell of a career. And, uh, you know, he left Milwaukee and he actually got better and had a, even a championship career because of his stay in Boston and, of course, Winning one in Milwaukee, so I mean in Miami, so you know, I, I enjoy got my guys, you know, just because we have a ton of war, that doesn't mean it's personal. It means that, you know, you know, it just didn't work that, at that moment. It was probably best to move on and do different things. Sometimes organizations choose players, sometimes organizations choose coaches, sometimes organizations choose either. Let me play. Oh, let's play a little story time because I don't want to give away the whole book, but there's some parts of that are just were so good. I've got to get into. Um, you really tore apart a player's locker at one point in your career. I think I actually started throwing balls at it, and then things <laughs> started falling down, and started slamming some cupboards and stuff like that, and one of it fell off the hinge. And so I, that was when I was really a furious George. That was in my earlier times. I think now I'm a friendly George. I'm not even furious anymore. <laughs> and the player, if I remember the book correctly, because it's interesting for me, I grew up in the Bay Area watching your teams at that point in my life, uh, was Joe Barry Carroll, right? Yeah, that was the locker I tore up, Joe Barry Carroll's locker. Yeah, that's the one. And his nickname <laughs> was Joe Barely Cares, right? Well, it was after game three when the Lakers went up 3-0 on, me, on us in Golden State, and he kind of talked to me after the game like, Coach, you know, we're not better than these guys. Why, why are you so upset, man? We can't, you know, these guys are good. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm going, you got to be kidding me. We got to figure out how to beat these guys. And, of course, that Sunday we had the Sleepy Floyd. Uh, I think we played the Lakers Saturday, Sunday. And we lost, and we're down 3-0. And then Sunday, which is, I think, might have been Mother's Day, Sleepy Floyd had the 51 and I think, 27 or 29 in the fourth. And we won that game. So there's hope again. And we went down to L.A., actually played a pretty good game, five, but didn't get it done and lost in five. The uh, When you look back at some of these other stories, how about the story about the time in practice when you told one player it would be okay to hit another one of the players at practice, maybe to get him going a little bit? Well, that was probably Mark West, who was one of my favorite kids. When I, My first year in coaching, I coached in Cleveland. and I had a lazy guy named Mel Turpin who drove me a little crazy. And uh, so Mark West, I kind of whispered to everyone, so I said, Mark, you know, make his life miserable today, or don't be afraid to hit him, see what happens. <laughs> and it was kind of funny because at the end of the year, he got hit so many times that World Be Free gave him a, a Cleveland Brown, gave him a Cleveland Brown uh, helmet because he's getting hit, hit so often by Mark West. <laughs> so, George, I'm reading the book on the plane, and uh, I, I'm reading the book, and Ron Boone sits next to me on the plane, the great 
former ABA NBA player. And he says, you know, I got to tell you something. I said, yeah, what, what's up, Ron? He says, George used to get in on me as a player. He'd get in on you defensively, and I'd drive back. i just raise my elbow up just a little. Just a little, nothing violent. Just a little, I'd raise that elbow up every time he's guarding me. I had to back him off. <laughs> uh, I was feisty. And, you know, I'm not sure I was very talented, but uh, fortunately I figured out how to help a team win a game once in a while. And, you know, I was feisty, and energy was probably my best talent. And, uh, you know, other than that, defending was, was a, usually good energy guys or start the game with the defensive end of the court. So Ron tells me that story, and then I'm realizing that in your book you say to win in the NBA you need a minimum level of talent, and then it comes down to how you respond to getting elbowed in the neck. And I'm like, Ron Boone did that. My guy Ron Boone's the one who elbowed him in the neck. Yeah, you know, I think players, when you play a long time in the NBA, and I only played probably two or three really good years and was hurt for two and a half to three years. But the guys who play 10 years, they got to find ways to motivate themselves. I mean, it's, and I thought Michael Jordan was an expert at it, you know, just kind of picking a fight or picking a, a verbal or, or getting into a little trash talking once in a while. I think he motivated himself at a high, high level. And it was fun to, to watch. The mailman did it too. We used to sit around. I've never told this story. George, why are you making me tell this story? You reveal all sorts of things in your book, and now I'm going to reveal something. We used to have a, I used to run the sports radio station in Salt Lake City during the kind of the great jazz days uh, when you, they lost you and then went to the finals twice. And we used to actually, at the end of every NBA season, we used to set the date, try to bet in the office on the over-under on the date by which Carl Malone would call into the show with some slight that, frankly, none of us had any idea where it came from. You know, he'd call in and be like, they, they say I'm over the hill. They say I've lost a step. We're like, who's they? We have never, we could never find they. But it's that concept of finding some way to get yourself going in year 10, 11, 12, 13, and 14. Yeah. Well, Malone was great. I mean, we were in Cleveland, and we passed on him. That probably been a nightmare. I took Keith Lee in Cleveland instead of Carl Malone. That was a nightmare. But, uh, you know, I'm not the best personnel guy. Hopefully I can... Someday learn the personnel or get involved in the organization or coach again, one or the other. And at that point, George Carl had to go, which was a little disappointing to me, but I understood he had a lot of responsibilities and meant that this interview was a little different than I intended. I did want to ask him why the shots along the way in his book. He took a little shot at Bill Russell, called him mumbles, and some of those kind of things. And I did have some other angles to discuss but instead, listening back to the conversation, it was just kind of a fun, frolicking, run 15-minute run-through of George Carl, who, you know, won a lot of games, had a lot of stories, interacted with a lot of people, and that's what his book is. It's been so much talked about, the shot at Kenya Martin and the other things. The book is, that's, you know, a small piece uh, of this book, Furious George. So maybe this interview is a better representation of what the book is, of who George is, than some Pulitzer Prize-winning, hard-hitting angle uh, to ask for. Uh, I have my opinions on, on the shots he took. I have my opinions on some things he revealed about himself in the book, and we didn't get to those in the interview, and maybe that's fine. But I did want to mention that that got cut off a bit abruptly uh, from what I had hoped uh, on my end. So that is George Carl. The book is Furious George. This has been Locked on NBA, the coach coming up this week as well. Thanks for tuning in to Locked on NBA, part of the Locked on Podcast Network.